Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Welcome to ES First. We are uh, a church that believes in Jesus. We follow after Jesus. And so um, we want to find out as much as we can about who he is and what he was all about. The Bible says that if you want to see what God is like, you can look to Jesus because he's the exact representation of God who is in heaven. And in a world that um, is so busy about trying to figure out God, um, sometimes the answer is right in front of your face. And so that's why we study Jesus. So um, welcome. And uh, we are in the book of Mark right now. It's a story about Jesus' life. So if you turn over there in Mark chapter 14, We'll get there in just a few minutes. But I want to talk to you today about faith. Faith is an interesting word. <clears throat> we use it uh, for all sorts of things. I have faith in somebody. We talk about the faith, which means oftentimes that you're a Christian. It's like, well, I came to the faith. Um, there's all sorts of different ways we use the word faith, and I'll talk to you about it today. Um, in the Bible, we have uh, these, these heroes of faith. We have Abraham. The Bible says that God came to him and told him about his life. And because he staked his life on what God told him, the Bible says that he believed God and he was made righteous by just simply believing in what God said. And that's all faith. The Bible talks about Noah. Noah is a man of faith. Uh, God came to him and said, it's going to rain. I want you to build a boat. And for hundreds of years, he built this boat, uh, Noah's Ark, and it never rained. And he told everybody, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. And the funny thing is, rain didn't exist. Rain didn't exist. So you might look like that guy on Ancient Aliens with the crazy hair talking about, whoa, bro, it's going to rain, whatever. That's probably like what Noah was like. And nobody believed him. And so one day it rained and his family was saved. And the Bible says that because Noah believed like that and put his whole life on what God said, that he was counted righteous and found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We have other great men and women of faith. We have uh, Rahab. She's a prostitute. So Rahab believes and she sticks her whole entire life on it. And her family is saved. The Bible talks about Joshua who God comes to and says, be strong and take courage in the same way I was with Moses. I will be with you. And he goes in and takes a whole generation of people into the promised land where God has for him simply because he believed God. And what about people like uh, uh, Gideon who were so scared and they were, he was hiding out because he was afraid that he was going to get uh, beat down, he killed, all of his stuff was going to be stolen, right? He was just hiding in a, a, a threshing floor, uh, pressing wine and, and, and doing his work in there because he was afraid of the people who would come and torture him and kill him for his belongings. It's crazy. An angel comes and says, hey, you, mighty man of God. And he's like, I am the least of my family. My whole entire family, I am the least person. And of all of Israel, my family is the least family. And of all the world, Israel is the least of all the peoples. He's like, he put himself on the very bottom. And God, through an angel, calls him a great and mighty man of valor. And then he goes and puts an army together to go and defeat the Midianites. And then God says, you got too many people. He has like 10,000 plus people. And God whittles him down to 300 
people, and he goes and fights this battle with 300. As a matter of fact, the instructions for the battle are so ridiculous, none of us would ever fight a battle this way. He's like, I want you to go to their camp at night, I want you to light some torches, I want you to break some pots, and I want you to scream and blow some trumpets. Now, I'm not really a boxer, but if you put me in a ring with Mike Tyson, I'm not going to break some stuff and yell at him, right? I'm going to cower down and lay down as fast as I can, right? But you don't, everybody knows you don't fight a battle with the least amount of people, and you don't fight it with stupid uh, crackpots and trumpets, but that's what Gideon did because God said to. These people of faith marked their whole entire life by what God said, even if it was ridiculous, even if it was stupid, even if it was against common sense and logic, that's what they did, and that is faith. That is faith. I'm going to talk to you about it today. Turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 14 and verse 32. It says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to, to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, that this hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch for just one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered in the hand of sinners. Rise let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. It's powerful and effective. We know that it works. We know that it's potent. I pray right now that it would flood into our hearts and our lives. It would change us in ways that we haven't quite figured out about ourselves yet. I pray that our lives would be ignited with your spirit, with your love that is supernatural and unfailing. Thank you for drawing us here today to be with you. We need to be in contact with who you are. Not just a sermon, not just some music. We need you. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So faith. Here's Jesus. He is about to be crucified. We're walking towards this thing called crucifixion. It's Easter weekend for us. And uh, Jesus is about to be crucified. He's, he's hanging out with his disciples. And he has, he has three, the, some people say they're his favorite. Peter, James, and John, right? Peter, you know, the loud mouth, and then James and John, um, their brothers. And they kind of get insight to Jesus' life in special ways. And a lot of people say that they're Jesus' favorite, but I think that you're Jesus' favorite. Because actually Jesus doesn't have a favorite. I think it's a little bit different. I think, as Hebrews says, that God rewards those who seek him. I think that Jesus was Peter, James, and John's favorite. I think enough people were, were content to sit back and hang back, but Peter, James, and John had a hunger to be with Jesus, and that's why they saw him 
on the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to see all different types of things. They were one of the earlier uh, disciples to be called and to follow Jesus. They were close-knit people, and they loved Jesus. So it's no doubt that when Jesus pulls them away, that they have a special bond where he says, come along. He's like, I'm troubled. I'm having a hard time. I'm almost to the point of death in my spirit. I'm just worried. I'm depressed. I have anxiety. Whatever you want to call it, this is what Jesus is feeling in these moments. And he is walking to a place to pray. Wouldn't it be great if more of us got alone with God in our deepest and darkest moments instead of running off to the bar, instead of running off to somebody to tell, instead of getting on Facebook and, and blasting our, our thing and, well, you know, uh, and being sarcastic and passive-aggressive and all the things that we do so well if we just got alone with the presence of God. This is what Jesus does. He walks and he says, he says to his three disciples that are his close-knit friends, he says, stay here and pray with me. Stay here and pray with me. And he walks off and he says to the Father, he says, God, all things are possible for you. It's a crazy thing to me when I read this, that all things are possible. He, he says all things are possible for you. Most people, when they approach Jesus, think that he is so perfect and so you know, otherworldly that when he came down, that he was just like, all things are possible for me, I can do everything. But we forget that God relies on the power and direction from God the Father himself along with the Holy Spirit. They're so wrapped up in each other, inseparable, that they rely on each other. Uh-huh. Some of you guys are like, oh, what's it talking about? Um, I'm a musician, and so sometimes I'm like, you know, you rely on each other. Uh-uh. That's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So here they are, hanging out. And he says, all things are possible for you, God. And then he does what most people will all kind of lean towards. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But we forget about this statement. Jesus says, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Nothing about this seems fun to me. I mean, I know that I came down here, we agreed, and I was going to become flesh. And, and you know, I mean, like, as if inventing the body and then having to learn how to use it as a toddler wasn't enough. As if having to go through puberty. As if having to go to school and submit yourself to education for a brain that you made yourself wasn't enough. As if having to hang out with humans, even though you're otherworldly and divine, wasn't enough. Here he is. He has to come down, and he knows that he has to face the worst death of all time. The worst death of all time. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that crucifixion was bad enough, but Jesus was beat to the place where you couldn't even tell if he was a man. He actually died on the cross from suffocation when everybody else had to have their legs broken, he was already dead. He was already dead because he was beat so badly. Because of the pressure of what went on. I would say that not many people were crucified in such a way that Jesus was. He knows all this is going to happen. And so he says, he says I'm crushed. I'm having a hard time with this. And he looks to his most important friends, his close-knit friends, the ones that have been there from the beginning, the ones that get him, the ones that he can look at, and they all get each other at the same time. They all have the same jokes. As a matter of fact, when one of them's down, they're all down. When they're having a hard time, I mean, they, they have like complete brotherhood. They have complete accountability. And he says to his friends, he says, wait here, I'm going to go and talk to the Father. And he prays, and, and, and the Bible says that maybe he prays for an hour or more. But he comes back, 
And he finds the people who are supposed to be in his corner, who are supposed to stick up for him, the people who are supposed to pray with him, be there for him in the thickest, hardest time of his life, sleeping. And he just told them, I am crushed to the point of death. And I don't think Jesus, like, said that kind of stuff a lot. You know, like, you, you're like, I'm so dead right now. Like, right? You say that kind of stuff. We even have emojis for it. Right? I'm so dead. Right? Dying. We talk about it all the time. We have enough of these things that we say a lot. I don't think Jesus was, like, emotionally just saying all sorts of crap all the time. I think when he was like, look, I'm crushed to the point of death, they're like, whoa. This is Jesus. I mean, He's the one that gave us all this bread and he calmed the storm and, and he was healing blind eyes. I mean, Jesus is crushed to the point of death. I think that they would take notice, but they don't. Have you ever been there? Like when somebody calls you to a, a high level of something and like you just, you just bail and you don't know why. It's like your, your eyes are heavy in your soul. It's like you've, you've missed it. You missed your moment. It was when, you know, your friend was on this deathbed and you couldn't get there in time. You got there when he was in hospice instead of when he was completely awake. And you had to talk to him even though you weren't sure that he could understand you because you just couldn't get there in time. It's like they said, my soul was crushed to the point of death, but you just couldn't make it. Something happened. It was weird. Life happened. And you wanted to, but you just couldn't. I think that Peter, James, and John were in this moment. They wanted to help. They, they felt helpless. I mean, surely Jesus has got this. He is the Lord. But here they are sleeping. Jesus comes back and wakes them up. He's like, couldn't you pray with me one hour? And then they wake up and, oh, yeah. I mean, ah. But have you ever tried to wake up when you're just like in a dead sleep? And you're like, oh, man, I just can't take it. Jesus goes back and prays like, I know we should be praying. <laughs> Jesus, I can't. And it says that their eyes were heavy. That's an interesting thing because Peter actually you know, was involved in the writing of Mark. I think he told Mark the story and Mark wrote it down. If Peter was like, you know, it wasn't so much like we didn't want to pray. It's just that our eyes were heavy. You know, it was really heavy. Just really, really heavy. You know, like it's an excuse, right? I just I can't do it. And here they pray and Jesus comes back and says, could you, could you watch one hour? And he says this, he says, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Now, we think that that's a reprimand. We're like, oh yeah, spirit is willing and fresh is weak. Jesus totally gets it. But I think it's deeper than that. I think Jesus was talking about himself. I think Jesus had to go through these temptations, as it says in, in Hebrews, and he had to go through these struggles, and he's like, look, I've never had anything quite like this before. My flesh is freaking out, and I don't have flesh. I am a celestial being who created the earth with the power of my voice and right now there's something just freaking out in me. You know, like, you, 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 like, like when your hands are shaking and you're nervous and you're like, chill out, bro. You just can't get it together. And Jesus is crushed to the point of death and here he is, he's like, the spirit is willing but the flesh is, flesh is weak. It's like he says, guys, I get it, I know. But relying on the spirit over the flesh takes this one little word, faith. Faith is this Greek word, pistis. It's my favorite Greek word. If you couldn't figure out why, see me later and I'll tell you. 
I get very pissed sometimes. I believe God. But the word pistis actually translates to us not faith or some kind of hope. It is this, to be persuaded. To be persuaded. Faith is so entirely different than what we make it. It's not some kind of like feeling you have to get up like, I think I've got a good feeling about it. I'm full of faith. Faith is actually to be convinced persuaded, like somebody that talks to you and says, let me tell you about the possibilities. And then at the end of the talk, an hour, you're like, I don't know. And then they take another hour and they speak to you and speak to you and they pump you full of persuasion and to the point where you say yes. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like maybe the time you tried to stop drinking, right? Maybe you're like 21 and you're like, you know, I'm just so sick of just partying all the time. And my friends are going out. I partied in high school, partied here. And you're like, I got a job now. I'm trying to get my life straight. And all your friends come over and they're like, hey, uh, we're going out tonight. And like, nope, I'm not going out. I'm saving money. I'm not drinking no more, nothing. And then they talk for a few minutes. Like, well, you know, Kevin's going to be there. Yeah, I'm not really fooling with Kevin. You know, he's out there playing baseball all the time. And like, well, you know, it's going to be a great time. You don't have to work first thing in the morning. And they have all of these reasons and excuses about why you should go out. And then finally, like, you know what? And then 2 a.m., you're like, ah! You know, and you get home, and somebody drops you off. You're like, I did it again. I'm such an idiot. But somebody persuaded you. Persuaded you. How about the salesman? Who you weren't going to buy anything. You walk past them at the boat show and you're like, nope, nope, I'm just here to look at the yachts, but nope, nope. And they get you to sign up for something because you want a cooler. I need that cooler. So you sign up. I'm just going to sign up. And if they call, I just say no. And then they talk to you and you're like, oh, you know, I, I just signed up for the cooler. And that's, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. But we can send some to your house to talk about your drinking water. And you're like, no, my drinking water is fine. I live in Excelsior Spring. It's the finest drinking water on all the whole entire planet. It's great. Fine. And they're like, no, but if we can come out, we'll give you a five-night stay in Branson. <laughs> and you're like, surely I can resist the pressure of drinking water to get that free trip to Branson. Yeah, come on out tomorrow. <laughs> so they're walking around. They're chesting your water. And then they, they have like a cup, and they, and they, they put litmus strips in it. Like, well, I'm telling you right now, you have poison and I'm surprised you aren't dead yet. <laughs> Pretty soon, $500 later and, you know, 95 monthly installments of $5.95 a piece. You've got a water softener pressure thing and you're like, what happened? You were persuaded. That's what happens. Happens. Some of you have timeshares that you never go to. You just give them to everybody else. Like, somebody's got to use this timeshare because you are persuaded. Some of you have all sorts of things in life because you are persuaded. And the Bible says that faith is actually that. It's persuasion. That actually the reason you came to faith in Jesus wasn't just because you were like, you came here and, and somebody spoke a good message and you were like, oh, you know what? That makes so much sense. I think I want to make a decision to, to change my whole entire life. All the things that I love to do, I'm going to say no to now. And I'm going to be a good person. That's not faith. Because faith is persuasion. It's actually the Holy Spirit drawing you and it's transforming your heart, your life. It's, it's, 
It's, it's a way that God woos you, the Bible says. He woos you into a relationship, relationship with him by persuading you. Persuading you. It's crazy. The same is true of when we have faith for things that happen in our life. Not only is it salvation, but it's actually the direction of everywhere we go. And here's Jesus. I can't, I, I struggle with this because I was like, does Jesus need faith? Why would Jesus need faith? Like, yeah, I believe me. Like, you never need faith for yourself. You're like, I need a sandwich. Yep, I totally believe me. Why does Jesus need faith? Except for that the Bible says that he took off his godness to come down and be man, and he relies on the power of the Spirit. And we can't quite ever decipher that like God, man, God, man, God, man. But he comes and he's like, all things are possible for you, God. Seems like he just like, all things are possible for me. I don't want to do it. There's got to be another way. But in light of what's going to happen, he says, God, I don't want to do this. If it's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. I am crushed to the point of death. And in faith, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I wonder if you've ever been there. That you were crushed by a decision, by what you were going to do, by where you were going to go, by the answer that you needed, by, by the steps that you were going to take. And you knew in your gut, it's like, these are the steps I have to take, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to take them. I mean, it's just like, it's going to be hard. And you were like crushed to the point of death. I'm not talking about just believing God for, you know, your water bill. I'm talking about stupid stuff that you're just like, I don't know if I can do that. Some of you are like, you, don't, you haven't seen my water bill. Stupid stuff, life-changing stuff, steps that you will have to take. And God is saying this. He's saying, I am persuading you. Corinthians actually says that faith is not something you muster up. It's actually a gift from God. That he has given to you a measure of faith. As a matter of fact, he's given you the measure, it says, not a measure, the measure. It wasn't like, hey, you got a, a hundred level thing that you need faith for. Here's two. Here's a two level faith. He gives you the exact measure of faith that you need for your life. The question is, are you persuaded? Persuasion comes from this place of, do I put my trust in who God is, his nature, and what he has said about me? Because if I have faith, I trust the character. Now, everybody talks about, you know, a, a, a chair when it comes to faith. But there's not really much you can really substitute for that. So I'm going to talk about that. When you have a, fair, a chair and it's sitting up here, there comes a place where you actually sit down in the chair. Like you could like, if you got good quads like Chuck, you could probably sit right on that chair for probably a good five minutes and never fully trust the chair. Me, I gotta get down there. You know, my, my knees are my knees are kind of bad. I jumped off too many dumpsters. Some of you are like, jump off dumpsters. You didn't get it. He gets it. Okay, there comes a point where you take the pressure off and sit in the chair. Now, what you're saying is I trust the nature of this chair to hold me. 
And you've been persuaded because you've seen other people sit in it, right? You've seen it be successful. Maybe you've sat in it once, you gave it a try, and you stood back up and like, what do you know? This chair is amazing. I worship you, almighty chair. The same is true of God. We put our trust in his nature. Now, not, a lot of people can pose. They can pose like they have faith in the chair. You can pose like you have faith in God. You can come to church, you can carry your Bible, like, oh, bless the Lord. You know, people are like, oh, you know, uh, you're having a hard time. And some people, some people that have never, ever had, you know, a hard time, they had to trust God, like, for some real stuff. They talk a good talk. And oftentimes, they're the first ones to be gone when the fire hits. I say the fire because I can't use the other word when I want to say that hits the fan. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. Some people, it hits the fan. They're like, whoa, you know, that doesn't work. That God thing, you know, well, you just, and then they go back and they rewrite their whole entire uh, Christian belief system based on failure instead of trusting God. It can't be any well better explained than this moment. When Jesus comes walking on the water to a boat of disciples who are actually freaked out of their mind, they think that Jesus is a ghost. Now, if I saw a ghost walking on the water, now I just watched Pirates of the Caribbean the other night, uh, just again, just refreshing about what it feels like to have half-dead sailors just running at you on the water. And I was like, I don't know what I would do if those guys were chasing me on the water. And here's Jesus, they're like, it's a ghost! And he's walking out of the water, and Peter, full of faith, says, that might be Jesus, says, if that's you, Jesus, call me to come to you. Now, in order just to say that, you have to have seen Jesus do some pretty cool stuff. That if Jesus can do, and I think like, you know, he just did the bread thing where Jesus was like breaking bread and, and handing it out and they fed 5,000. And I think he handed some bread to Peter and Peter's like, ha ha, I can break bread and multiply it too. This is crazy. Whatever Jesus can do, I can do. And I think on the boat, he's like, man, if Jesus can break bread and I can break bread, what else can we do together? And then this ghost comes and I think Peter was like, man, it's the perfect opportunity. Jesus is walking on the water. I've always wanted to walk on the water. If that's you, call me to come. Now, it's kind of a trick question because it is Jesus. What's he supposed to say? It's not me. So he says, come. <laughs> and Peter takes his leg and puts it over the, over the boat. Now, remember the chair? You know, like you can act like, hey, we're going <laughs> to, I'm going to get in the water. <laughs> You know, like somebody do at the pool. It's like, I came here to swim. I'm going to... I see you out there, Jesus. There comes a moment of faith. It's the moment when the pressure from this foot, called security, goes to the other foot, which is called complete trust. Only way you can move from security to complete trust in something that seemingly can't hold you up is if 
you have been persuaded about the nature of the person who can make it happen. Persuasion. Convinced. Fully convinced. It's like when Paul says in Romans 12, I am convinced height nor depth, demons, angels, nothing shall separate me from the love of God. I'm convinced that he loves me. I'm convinced that he loves me. And some of you are not even persuaded that God loves you. Let alone step out into uncharted territory on somebody's reputation that you're not sure that you even like, let alone love. Jesus comes in and he says, the spirit is willing because I know the nature of who God is. I know it better than anybody. There's nobody that knows it better than me. But the flesh is weak. There's this thing that goes, I don't know. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. I can't see how this is going to be good. But the Bible says, in Corinthians, it says that if Jesus doesn't die, if he doesn't die and rise again, that there is no forgiveness of sin. And you are dead in your sins. And this is what Jesus knows, that he's not really telling anybody else. I think when Peter was like, you know, you're not going to die, Jesus. I don't think Jesus could really break it down. Look, he's like, look, if I, if I don't die, then you will live in hell, Peter. If I don't provide the sacrifice, you will be crucified for your own sins, and you will die forever in separation from me. I think he was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. And he goes, I don't know how this is going to happen. If there's any other way this can happen, is there a different strategy? And the answer is no. Jesus had to die to fulfill freedom for you and I. And he was willing to do it because there was no other way. It's one of the greatest apologetics for the faith. Why would Jesus die if he didn't have to? The answer is he had to, so he did. We all know the rest of the story. He, he dies on the cross and buried in a tomb, and three days later he rises again. But can we just be real a little bit? Sometimes I don't feel fully persuaded that God will do what he told me he would you ever feel that way? I don't know, God. I mean, I've sat in the chair. I mean, I've, I've tried to walk on water off the diving board, and I didn't get very far. I just ran and did my Tom and Jerry thing. Fell straight in the water, and it doesn't seem like I have the power that you have. He said, I never told you to have the power. I would give you the persuasion. It's something that rises up deep in your gut that goes, you know what? I don't think it's possible. In my mind, something in my gut says it's time to trust God. I don't know. I can't see it all. I don't have all the answers. But something inside of me is just persuaded that God is able to do above all that I can ask, think, or even imagine. And it's this power inside of me that I can't explain. I can't. I sit down at work, I'm in the break room, and they're, they're all talking about stuff. I don't even want to listen to what they have to say. I'm just like so lost in my own little world because there's something inside of me that says, I think I'm persuaded for something more. 
It's like you don't even want to say it to other people. You've had people come and you're like, pray with me. I'm facing something hard. They keep falling asleep. But the problem is that what God is calling you to is beyond other people. And there's always a defining moment where you go, will you trust God or do you need those jokers the rest of your life? All you need is me. And I got friends and they're deep. But you know what? In the worst of the battles, it's just me and God. In the hardest times, it's just me and God. And they're there, and they tried to keep their eyes open, but it's just, it's not the same. we got to get to this place where we are persuaded of God's nature and we'll stake our lives on it. Check out Hebrews 12, uh, 2. It says this. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, if we look at this word faith as just, I am a Christian, oh, it's my faith. You know, it's like, I have a Bible, and I read it once a week at church, and I give money, and I vote a certain way, and I make sure that my kids know the way, and I sit them down and I tell them that Jesus is coming again because Pastor Block said to. I'm a part of the faith. But this word faith is not some kind of overarching proper noun of Christianity. It is actually pistios, pistis, persuaded. And I think, we look at this, we go, he is the pioneer. Another word for that is the author. Another word for that is the chief. What's up, chief? I'm going to start calling Jesus that in prayer. Hey, chief, just come to you today. Chief, the prince, the prince. How does one get to royalty about persuasion? They have conquered. They have conquered. I authored faith. I authored faith. And not only does he author it, he finishes it. And he perfects it. So about the time you think, I don't have enough faith for that, Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. Let me persuade you. He's calling you up, saying, let me come over and check your water. He's saying, let me, let me tell me about a free vacation I got for you. He's the person who will do whatever it takes to get you. He'll take the four hours and send you to the next salesman and the next salesman and the next salesman. And you're like, la, 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 la. And he's like, let me just, let me just, let me just ask you, you're really going to pass this up? This offer right here, you're going to pass this one up? He's fully persuading you because he's the author and the finisher of not his faith, but your faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross. In one moment, he says, I am crushed to death. But now he's saying that it was the greatest joy of his life. Why? Because he's persuaded about what it'll do in your life. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Give me uh, the next one. Uh, it's Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the persuasion we possess, profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our flesh, our weakness. 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. Give up. You're not going to make it. No way. I don't think this is going to be a good time. I don't think it's going to be worth it. We have one who has been tempted just like us, just as we are, and yet did not fail. That's the God we serve. Fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. A lot of times we interchange these two words, faith and belief. We say believe because it feels so good to do something, doesn't it? You know, like cleaning your kitchen. Yeah. Today I pulled the stove out. Found dead mice back there. I got crumbs. I found Lego guys. Did you know there's like a ooze back behind the... You pull it out. It feels so good to do something. And nobody else can see it, but you're like, <laughs> how clean is my kitchen? It feels good to believe God and it go right. You know, God said, and I just stepped out on the boat, out of the boat onto the water, just bam, and everybody goes, oh, you're so full of faith. <laughs> you know, like... Deep down, you know you didn't have the belief to even participate to make it happen. You know that you just listened long enough to the sales pitch until you were fully persuaded. That's why it's important for you. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why you're being persuaded. I'm being persuaded. I'm being persuaded. It's like, but when I go to work, I like to just listen to Nuck if you buck all morning and get, you know, hey, mm, shut them down, open up shop. That's what I like. Are you persuaded by that? I guarantee you're persuaded by it, but I don't think it's the persuasion you're looking for. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing the word about Christ, who he is. Is he faithful? Yes, he's faithful. Is he there? Yes, he's there. Is he with me? Yes, he's with me. He never leaves me. He never, even if you have to just listen to one verse over and over and over again. I told Judah, I said, I'll give you a dollar for every memory verse you can memorize. Melissa's got like a whole paragraph that she's taught my boy. He can, he can recite the whole thing. I said, I'll give you a dollar for this one. We have the mind of Christ. He says, that one? That's easy. I said, yeah, tell me when you're 18. And he comes to me and is like, hey, Dad, I need a dollar. I said, what's the memory verse? We have the mind of Christ. You bet you, son. I want to be persuaded. Persuaded, even if it's only one thing. Even if it's this, I'll stake my life on the nature of God. I'll stake my life on what he says, where he says to go. I'll, I'm fully convinced. And sometimes the spirit is, is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes, sometimes I, I, I know, but I'm just like, I'm crushed. But I'm persuaded. He's the author and finisher. He started it. He finishes it. He's not even some far off God that doesn't even know what it feels like. He goes, I've been there, Brandon. I know you're going to get it, champ. You got it, bro. fully persuaded would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tell you say Brandon this is making sense 
I'm either going to buy a water softener from you or I'm going to believe in Jesus. Persuaded. Would you say, my spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak. Could you pray that I would not fall into temptation like Peter? Say, Brandon, would you pray for me that I could live that kind of persuaded life, convinced? That's you. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you today. Amen. Awesome. You're not alone today. Father, we thank you for the people in this room that are fully persuaded. The only reason they came here today because they're convinced in some fashion that you're good. Take them to the next level. Take them higher and greater. That you are looking after their best interests. That you can be trusted. That you're good. You never leave them. You never forsake them. And that you're a provider. That you're the anointer. That you're the healer. That you're the one that takes care of everything in our lives when we rest in who you are and walk forward in what you have. God, I pray. I pray for a supernatural anointing of persuasion. Silence the foe and the avenger. Silence the enemy who wants to accuse and say, you, you can't be persuaded. You're not good enough. It doesn't come from you're good enough. It comes from his nature. Sit in the chair and live the life God has for you. He wants to call you to greater. He knows and desires his best for you. Father, we trust you. We're convinced of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God a praise today.